Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Mildred Tassoni, and today we have Partnering for Positive Change. We have five experienced coaches that will give us an overview of what coaching is and their particular areas of expertise. I'd like to start off with Irene Caniano, if she'll introduce herself, and then she can introduce the rest of the panel. Hi, Irene. Hello, Mildred. Yes, I'm so happy to be here with the other coaches. We are all from the Long Island International Coach Federation. We're the chapter in Long Island, and we each have a different expertise, and we'd like to share it with the people who are listening to your podcast. Um, uh, Mary Beth, would you like to introduce yourself and your general area of expertise? I'd be happy to. Hi, Mildred. Um, my passion is to inspire savvy, creative, professional women between 40 and 60 who are facing roadblocks and the frustration and stress caused by these roadblocks because of all the transitions that they're being bombarded with. Uh, so I work with them so that they can achieve success in their careers, their businesses, and their lives. I, uh, I, look, uh, I, I like to quote Tom Stafford with this. He says, uh, from Rosencrantz and Gilderstern are dead, he says, look on every exit as being an entrance somewhere else. So I try to get them to view their transition that way. Great. We're, we'll go in depth once we introduce everyone. Um, next, um, Mark, if you could introduce yourself. Okay. Uh, I'm Mark Miller. I have a doctorate in psychology, but I'm working as a coach for the last 10-plus uh, years. Uh, and maybe later I'll talk about the difference between psychotherapy and coaching as it applies to what I specialize in. Um, I'm going to be speaking about my role as a certified divorce coach. I also do executive and, and organizational coaching, but my focus today is going to be on divorce coaching. Um, I'm also the current uh, president of uh, ICF Long Island, and uh, I'm very proud of, of the group that we have and the quality of the coaches that we are uh, bringing together today. Great. Thank you. Um Next, uh, Lois, if you could tell us about you. Sure. My name is Lois Cooper, and I'm a diversity and inclusion expert who coaches people to reach their full potential in their relationships. And I partner with organizations to help them engage their employees with more effective communication. I have a 25-year background in human resources and diversity and inclusion across multiple industries. I published my first book, New Dawn, New Direction, last year, and I'm an associate certified coach by the International Coach Federation. And I work closely with the members of the team that are on the phone as I'm the co-program chair of the ICF Long Island uh, uh, organization. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Um, and last is uh, Joshua, if you'd tell us about yourself. Sure, I'd be glad to. I'm Joshua Sauer. I'm the founder of Joshua A. Sauer Coaching, LLC. I'm a career development professional that serves as a resume writer, a LinkedIn profile optimizer, and employee interview uh, pre preparation coach and a career coach. And I'm dedicated to integrating expertise in organizational settings, preparing students, mid-career professionals and executives to launch and are maintain flourishing careers. I have a, I worked in the broadcast industry for 15 years and I've transitioned working in the 
coaching profession for the past four years. I have a master's of science in organizational behavior, and I have an ACC ICF credential. Great. Thank you. Irene, I didn't give you a chance to talk about your focus. Thank you, Mildred. I was a teacher for 25 years, and for many of those years, I taught millennials. Now I coach millennials, but they're adults. So my clients come to me to make the most of their 20s and 30s, and my specialty is executive functioning, and that involves the 11 skills that are known to be predictors of success. And through coaching, my clients develop the skills and the mindset to succeed in both their professional and their personal lives. Great. Thank you. I know you and I go back and forth on this about uh, different millennial topics for real estate as well as coaching. So, um, okay. So that's our panel. Um, And what we'd like to do is start with Mary Beth. If you could give us an idea of who you're coaching, how you're doing it, uh, what your coaching style is like. Okay. Sure. Absolutely. I'm happy to. Um, Well, my clients, most of them are women, and they're stressed and frustrated with the assault by career and life transitions. They're caught in a vortex of confusion about what's next. Um, They feel maybe their internal compass is off track and they don't know how to get centered again. And I've been where they are, and I can feel it and speak their language. Plus, I have a balanced combination of academic, and uh, I have an MA in social and organizational behavior from George Washington University. Uh, I'm an associate certified coach. Uh, I have that certification from the International Coach Federation. Uh, and I took training, coach training from NYU, plus I have 25 years of real-world experience in senior leadership. So I give them choices to deal with their transitions. Um, you know, it's lovely to have a friend to talk to, but a friend is not trained to remain objective, ask deep questions, listen closely, help you set actionable goals, and hold you to them the way a professionally trained coach is. So when I uh, work with them, I um, get them to pause, uh, take a step back, Take a look at where they are, um, and then I have them evaluate some of the exploration they've done to their options, and then uh, take action. So when, when they're able to do that, they set goals for themselves and actionable items so that they can achieve what they want to achieve. And I think because I've been in the same place they are, uh, we relate on a a really good basis. Um, Uh, I think one your first comment about um, it's great to have friends to talk to, but you can't tell everybody (laughs) everything. No. And, you know, Coaching is really future-directed. Uh, I think that, that Mark will go into it more in more detail about the difference between therapy and coaching. But coaching is very future-directed, and that's what uh, my clients want. They want to achieve something in the future. They don't want to have to go back and rethink their past. They just want to move forward, and that's what ho- coaching helps them do. You know, they I um, offer them a, a partnership and support. Do you do, um, you know, four sessions, ten sessions? You customize depending, you know, what? Well, generally, you know, coaching doesn't happen like one, two, three, like anything else. If there's a lot of work involved in it. Um, I believe that three months of three sessions a month is uh, how you need to go. If people don't want to do that, um, 
you know, I'll do it for a month, but I wouldn't do it less than that. Because there's a lot of thought involved in the process, and there's homework that they need to do in order to really achieve what they want to do. And if they feel they don't want to do the coaching, I also have, uh, I offer workshops and mastermind think groups, which are probably better after they've done a little coaching and they know kind of where they want to go and they want to maintain certain things. So I guess I like to give them choices, combinations of, of any of that. Um, do you find that people, if they're really emotional, um, as, is it more effective to start coaching then? Or, I mean, I, I know there's no one size fits all, but Correct. do you, you know, you help them get stable or you just jump in wherever they're at and then help them with other resources as well? Well, well, when you say emotional, do you mean they're coming into the session emotional uh, in an emotional state because of something that's happened? Is that what you well, mean? Well, if you're 40 to 60 and you're looking for work and you haven't looked for work in a while and maybe your skill sets aren't, current or as current as mm-hmm. they sh- can be mm-hmm. that's to me and they're now they're going to hit rejection so now they're emotional right. and panicked you know not so much right. about with you but what to do right well in that you know in that situation um i would have them focus and calm down because they have strengths i know it's not the same job market as when they were 20 but they have strength and they have knowledge and they have experience. And the issue is to help them uh, focus the, themselves on their positives, on their strengths, and not to talk to them themselves internally in a negative way, but to focus more on the positive because they have positives, a lot of positives. Do you find um, a, do now? Maybe I was making an assumption that people are get that people come to you and panic in in a panic mode. Is that do you find that, or do you find um, you know maybe they're not so they're just calmer. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I wouldn't say they come in a panic mode. They come for all different reasons. Some. Yeah. Um, People are going through a transition, and I just worked with a group, uh, a, a, a group of women on Monday um, who were going through some big transitions where their company was being uh, merging with a much larger company, and they had concerns. Um, they, in that case, I try to focus on um, what they can do in that situation, the positive things they can do. Uh, I don't think they tend, I haven't, let me put it this way, I haven't encountered anyone who has been so emotionally fraught that they can't calm down and talk, you know, we can have a constructive conversation. Also, some people come because they're getting, they're coming towards retirement age. They don't really want to retire. Uh, What I like to say is they want to refire. They want to go in another direction, maybe part-time or do something, you know, try something they haven't tried before so we can explore that area with them. So they're not panicked. They're just um, they're in an exploratory <laughs> mode. Oh, that's a very good way of, of phrasing it. All right. Well, thank you. Um, we'll come back to you for some additional comments. But, Irene, could you give us an overview of – what you're doing and how you're working with millennials and yes, uh, well, uh, millennials are between in their 20s or early 30s, and they're going through a lot of changes in their life and also making a lot of decisions. So they come for either a goal that they have concerning work or social, and sometimes it's a the difficult situation like pursuing something like a graduate degree or in their job. And I also have clients who have ADHD, 
So they're struggling with maybe five different areas of difficulty, maybe time management, attention, organization, getting started, emotional control. So they have a lot of things that interfere with their success. So either way, they're coming to me to overcome some of the challenges that they have, and basically they're coming to be happy and successful. And through coaching, we use some tools that help them make their life run more smoothly. Um, one, one of your, I had asked you for some questions, but before I get to that, what do you feel like, um, they, what, where do you start? What are your sessions like? How do you structure your coaching? Yeah, first of all, it's, we've got to have rapport. So we don't even start coaching unless it seems like it's a good fit because it's a partnership. And then after that, the first thing we need to do is uh, set the guidelines that it's confidential and that they can feel they're in a safe place. And then I need to find out as much as I can about them that they're willing to share because I'm going to use that information during the sessions. So the first session would be I'd be looking for their strengths, the most important people in their lives, their past achievements and what they learned, and how satisfied they are in the different areas of their lives. Uh, also, I'd like to know what traits they want to develop and what groups they belong to. And then what kind of coach do they want me to be? Because I want to be the kind of person who can be, help them be successful and work in a way that's good for them. And I uh, will discuss their short and long-term goals. In my kind of coaching, I do an assessment with them, which is very informal. It's a checklist of the 11 success skills and see how they stand with that. And then I have them do a survey on which resources have they used in the past for performance. Okay. And then we Could set off give, from there. Okay. I thought one question, because I had asked everybody for, you know, a couple of ideas that I could ask, you know. And, and one thing I thought that you mentioned was uh, an example of before and after. Yeah. So I'll give one example of a client who was stressed over her new job. She wanted to really get that anxiety down and then also her performance up. So she came in, and we helped her brainstorm some ideas. And she came up that she needed to maybe use the deep breathing, uh, taking a break, and also flipping the negative thoughts in her mind. So during the sessions, we worked on ways that she could implement those behaviors into her life. And also, while she was being coached, she began to realize she can ask questions when she's upset or confused, and that made her very good at self-advocating, and she became comfortable asking for help. And she also learned to acknowledge her own successes, because I would always point that out in the sessions, you you know, um, how did you feel when you did that? And she was able to realize that she was doing some quite uh, effective things for herself. And her energy increased, and then she became happier and started to be able to go with the flow and not always concentrate on things that are going wrong and be able to deal with a little uncertainty in life. And uh, she felt much better about her own performance. I wanted to say one last thing. In coaching, we say that you, if you have to be the kind of person who can do what you need to do. So she needed to be more confident, and that was the answer to her, her, her success. Okay, so you deal with the big picture and then work on some of the detail to to get to the big picture. So, um, yeah. Uh, okay, we'll talk more later. But um, Mark, how are you? Yes, I'm good, Mildred. Thank you. I I found your um, area of coaching very interesting. Um, so why don't you go ahead and explain your main focus and the difference between therapy and coaching for that? Okay. Okay. The, uh, the specialty area that I'm going to be talking about is uh, divorce coaching. And it is a, a specific uh, area that requires all of the skills that, uh, that both Irene and Mary Beth have been talking about so far uh, as far as coaching with some expertise in the process of divorce. Um, going through a divorce, which uh, 
you know, the, the statistics are that over 50% of our U.S. population have been through a divorce at least once. Uh, so it's, it's a pretty uh, widespread phenomenon. And divorce brings out the worst in people. It brings out the crazy in people because it's an extremely stressful uh, process under the best of circumstances. So my job as a divorce coach, and I've been trained specifically in this area, um, is to be on the journey with my client as he or she is uh, at whatever point of the divorce process, and that can begin prior to making a decision to seek a divorce legally. It could be somewhere or anywhere during that process, and also it's a process that stretches out over a good deal of time, sometimes much too long, frankly. And I also work with people post-divorce. There are just so many issues that uh, that people going through divorce go through emotionally. And my job as a coach is to help them sort through their emotional reactions so they can work with their uh, matrimonial or divorce attorney or the, their divorce mediator in as clear and rational a way as possible. Um, you know, divorce lawyers and, and mediators, they're there to help the parties come to a resolution of their divorce so they can have an agreement that they sign, that the judge signs, that finalizes the divorce. Um, some people who are in the field of divorce, uh, of, of being a divorce lawyer, uh, are very supportive and helpful, um, but they're lawyers. They're not coaches or therapists or friends. Um, and my role as a divorce coach is to attend to the emotional factors that may get in the way of the person really dealing with the business of getting divorced, focusing on financial issues that are really important to resolve, uh, focusing on what's in the best interest of, of their children, which are, who often are the collateral damage that happens in the course of a divorce because of emotional back-and-forth issues between the two parties. Um, so as a divorce coach, I'm there for my client. I work with one person at a time, not both parties, uh, which is true in, in uh, divorce mediation. Um, but my goal is to help that person keep their head as clear and, and separate out the emotional stuff so they can focus with their lawyer on what needs to be focused on. I think uh, Mary Beth's comment, too, about going forward, but also you're not a friend because you, you're you're an outside party, but there to support them, not exactly. the attorney who's the transaction manager, you know, kind of, you know. That's a good way. That's a good way to put it. Um, you know, I've, I've been meeting a lot of matrimonial attorneys, and I think they're an excellent referral source for me because I can be a partner. I can be, um, you know, a resource for them and their clients. Uh, but most, most matrimonial attorneys want to take care of the transaction of figuring out in, in traditional divorces with, with their opposite uh, attorney how to figure out what, what's the, the best, fairest, and quickest way to resolve the dispute between them so that they can go on with their lives. Um, but their lawyer is not their friend, and their lawyer is not trained in the way that I am. My, my background is psychology, and so I tap into that background. I tap into my awareness and knowledge as, as, a, as a credentialed coach. Um, and the focus, you know, just to, to touch on that difference between therapy and coaching in the divorce realm, um, my focus is not on resolving deep-seated psychological problems that go back to people's early life. I did that for many years as a therapist. There's a value in that. But most people who are going through divorce are not, they're not suffering from a mental disorder. And I think it's a mis mistake to think that they are. But they, but they often are kind of suffering from a temporary reaction to the stresses of getting divorced. It, it brings up issues of loss. It brings up issues of failure. It brings up resentments and angers and hurts. And it's so easy to get into those kind of uh, emotional factors that, that prevent the, the person going through the divorce uh, from doing what they need to do, which is focus on 
dividing assets in an equitable manner, figuring out the best way to parent your children uh, through through a divorce and post divorce. And uh, my goal is to is to be the 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 helpmate in a way, the collaborator in helping my clients uh, deal with the present when the future intrude when the when the past rather intrudes to address it in some way. And my background certainly helps me do that. But as with the other coaches who've already spoken, and I'm sure the ones who will be speaking, our focus is on helping them move forward. How do I help them? Um, you know, get past the emotional turmoil they're going through uh, quick, as quickly and, and thoroughly as possible so that they can move on with their lives, so they can help their kids uh, get through this horribly difficult process as well as possible so they can move on with their lives. Yeah, I think it's a, a great uh, partner in the divorce team. <laughs> You know, because yeah, yeah. it's so emotional, um, you know, ju- for all the things you said, you feel like you've failed. What could you, you know, it's crazy. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, what happens if the person on the other side is is acting not, you know, a, a very negative force? I guess you would help them you know, just kind of deal with it. Um, yeah, yeah. I actually had lunch with a matrimonial attorney just before this, uh, and he and I spoke about that earlier in the week. I met with another divorce attorney, and we had a similar conversation. We can only help the person we're working with directly, but it's so easy for people going through a divorce to react to their partner their, or the, the person they're trying to uh, – uh, divorce, get divorced from and extricate themselves from, it's so easy to get triggered. It's so easy to react. And even though directly I can't, I can't help that other person be, you know, more rational and, 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 and more available to work this out in a, in, a, in, a, in a focused kind of way. But if I can help my client deal with what their uh, partner, soon to be past partner, is throwing at them, uh, that can really make a big difference because people react to each other. We all do. I mean, even outside of the divorce context, we all react to one another, and oftentimes our reactions are just kind of feed the conflict. So, you know, in having an opportunity in, in divorce coaching to sort that through, to get some sense of release just by venting to me as a coach, um, but also to figure out what am I reacting to you know, what's getting triggered in me? How can I avoid falling into the traps that, that my uh, ex-spouse, oh, soon-to-be ex-spouse, is, is setting up for me? That really can be extremely helpful in preventing mm-hmm. the same old patterns from continuing. Yes. Now, how do you usually do that? Do you do once a week or, you know, a couple, you know, more times in the beginning? Or is there any... Yeah. No, yeah, it really no. varies, and, and and frankly, one important factor, unfortunately, is a financial one. Getting divorced is an expensive process, and sometimes when it drags on for a very long time, it can really literally bankrupt people. Um, mm-hmm. So if they're paying their lawyer and they're also working with me, my fee is a fraction of what most lawyers charge, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a third of what most lawyers charge, or perhaps even a smaller percentage than that. Um but so the frequency is going to is going to vary. I my feeling is meeting with with a client, a divorcing client, every other week, and I think Mary Beth said three months is a good period. I I agree with that. I think it's important to have some continuity, and trust has to build. It's a point Irene made. Uh, there has to be rapport. There has to be trust. Um, so what I say to people is let's. Let's figure out whether we want to meet every other week or three times in the month. I think less than that is really not often enough to have a sense of continuity. But let's assess how we're doing and how much help this is providing. Periodically, certainly at the end of three months, we can have a sense of that. If anybody says to me at any point in the process, this isn't working, I, I, I don't want to keep doing this, um, I'm not going to hold anybody for three months or, or whatever. But Frankly, that's never happened. People realize the value 
of the coaching and, and, and having someone to help them through this process to kind of walk along the path with them. And, um, you know, but I think we, it's, it's an important part of coaching to evaluate on an ongoing basis. Is the frequency helpful? Is it working? And it, does it really, is it worth continuing? And if so, how much longer shall we continue? So it really varies. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, and we'll get back to you at, after we, next we'd like to talk to Lois. Um, and if she'll, you'll talk about your area of expertise and how you go about it. All right. Thank you, Mildred. Well, first of all, I just want to say that diversity and inclusion is really, truly a passion of mine. And I really love working with people in this area. And just to, you know, tap into something that Mark just said, it's really all about how people react to each other. So diversity and inclusion to me is all about relationships and how we interact. And so these experiences can be negative or positive, but should be based on facts and not assumptions, beliefs, or stereotypes. Today we're surrounded by diversity. We're diverse in so many ways. It could be our personality. It could be our level of education. It could be from where you are in the country, the economic level that you're in, whether you're first, middle, or only child. All of these things make up who we are and then how we're going to interact with others. (laughs) So I enjoy helping others learn that we're all the same inside and that there's more similarities than differences. So diversity coaching can be done for individuals or teams. It can be used to educate or to mediate. I am a big fan of being more proactive and not waiting until something has happened and then trying to go in as an intervention. So individual diversity coaching can be used to improve a work or personal relationship by increasing understanding of the other and encouraging communication even if the conversations are difficult. And as a diversity coach, I help to facilitate these conversations. In the workplace, as I said before, it's more proactive to educate and increase awareness in advance so that you don't have what's now being called the diversity emergency in the workplace. And this is when something egregious happens in the workplace and immediate action needs to be taken before there's legal fallout or negative uh, reputation to the organization's brand. And I also provide coaching human resources leaders and practitioners who want assistance in planning out their organization's diversity and inclusion strategies. They may be just getting started with a diversity initiative, or they may be stuck and want to get their employees more engaged. And so my experience... Mildred? Oh, sorry. I was trying to mute everyone, and I clicked the wrong button. I apologize. So maybe you could... Okay. <laughs> um, maybe you could uh, pick up you were talking about in the workplace. Um, yes. Okay. And what I was saying about diversity and inclusion in the workplace is that it's better to be proactive And I provide coaching for leaders and diversity practitioners who want assistance in planning out their diversity and inclusion strategy. So they may be just getting started with their diversity initiative, or they may be stuck and want to get their employees more engaged. And my experience with diversity and inclusion can help them with this. Um, Now, do you – I was with J.P. Morgan Chase for 17 years, and they had – programs, you know, and, and a structure to help deal with individual and um, general, you know, to avoid proactive, shall we say. So, but how could a smaller company, um, you know, work, you know, include or start to develop, um, programs and what kind of programs do you think would be helpful for a small to mid-sized business? Well, one um, way that I've worked with smaller companies with is what's called the Dignity and Respect Campaign. And basically, it's a process where everyone kind of takes a pledge to treat everyone else within the organization 
with dignity and respect. And there are 30 tips that they implement and put into practice um, that everybody is on the same page with. So these are things just by saying hello to people, smiling at people, very simple day-to-day things that unfortunately in the workplace we often don't do. But if you make a concerted and engaged effort to, to do these things, you're going to change the culture of the workplace. Um, how do you handle, and I'm not sure if this is your area, uh, but, uh, um, you know, people feeling negative about other people, whether for, I'm a, I, I like people. I basically, you know, interact with them. Um, but not everybody's like that. Some people are shy. Some people mm-hmm. just aren't, you know, haven't met a lot of people. I've met a lot of people, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and my nature is to mostly like you until I have a reason not to, you know, but yeah. not everybody's like that. How do you deal with that in, in like the workplace? So basically, you know, I cannot change, you know, any of the opinions that you may have learned growing up or anything like that. That's your own personal values. But what I can say and what I encourage people to do in the workplace is to say, while you're working, you know, in these four walls or doing business on behalf of the company, these are the behaviors that are expected, okay? And so this is how we're going to operate. This is how we're going to work as a team. So when I start working with the group, it's usually going to start with an assessment of kind of where they are on the diversity and inclusion continuum. And then where do they want to be? And then working on even definitions. What does diversity even mean? How does that differ from inclusion? What's equity? What's equality? You know, what are the uh, behaviors that we are going to ask everybody to model? So these are things that we work toward, A, so that everyone has a common understanding, because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what diversity really is. And then from there, we come up with what's, what's the environment that we want to have, and then let's be the change that we want to see. How, uh, who would come to you as an individual? Um, would they feel like there's so many different kinds of people that they can't deal with and they're in sales and they better know how to deal with them? Or what would be the, a, a, an example of someone coming to you? And you know what? That's a great example. Or it could be someone who, um, you know, within their work environment, they are now coming across people that they may not have a lot of experience working with. And so they want to better understand the culture of the people that they're working with to help them have better working relationships and better communication. Um, Yeah, I I could see, um, you know, because some being in sales, you have to deal with a lot of people, and if they, the people you're dealing with might not like you or might not value you either, and so you have to deal with that. Um, what about STEM? There was a mention in your biography information about STEM. Could you give us yes. a little bit on that? Well, there's STEM and then there's STEAM. So it's science, technology, engineering, and math. And then there are some people who also add the arts into that. And uh-huh. STEM, yes. <laughs> and so STEM is an area where um, there's been a lot of uh, press and publicity lately about, you know, gender um, in these types of organizations and technology companies. And certainly, are there people of color working for these organizations? And if you think about it, the consumers are very, you know, high numbers of women and people of color. And so people want to see that reflected in the workplace as well. So that's definitely an area of focus. Uh, do you do workshops on that or do people come to you? How, what's, how do you work in that area? Yes, and I actually have a um, workshop called Leveraging Engagement and Communication. 
and it's one where I've trained probably well over 1,500 people. And it really focuses on three areas. It really focuses on the dynamics of communication. It helps people acquire the skills for inclusive engagement. And then it examines both verbal and nonverbal communication and how we're always putting out messages and how we need to um, put messages out. And then also how do we receive them and then how do we handle conflicts as they may arise? Mm. Okay, well, thank you very much. It's very interesting. Um, Joshua, are you, whoops, did I, there we go. Joshua? Hi, sorry. That's why I I can't unmute everybody all at once, so sorry about that. But hi. So if you'll give us uh, an overview of what you're focusing on now. Sure. Yeah, I, I've been focusing a lot of my attention on uh, working with people through their interests in personal branding and rebranding. And I sort of have my own definition of what that is, because when you, when you think about personal branding, a lot of times uh, it has many different meanings, even, out, but even outside the the realm of um, coaching. So the, per, the, the definition that, that I usually follow is it's the practice of people marketing themselves and their careers as brands. A, and a personal brand is how you appear to the world. And a successful brand is in which people know who you are and can identify you with a specific area of understanding or expertise and you could serve as a sub- subject matter expert, and as a subject matter expert, the individual blossoms and serves as a go-to person in a specific niche or industry. And we, f- I focus on five different techniques of building and establishing a quality personal brand. First is understanding uh, your authentic self. Uh, number two is leveraging and growing your network managing and maintaining a database of critical personal contacts, uh, publishing informative articles, participating in interviews and panels, such as this, and seeking out speaking engagements, building and growing your presence and visibility, becoming both an active student of your industry and a trusted resource of relevant information. And number four is maintaining an active visibility and accessibility to people within your industry and your community. And number five is a, is a very interesting uh, area that even uh, blends itself into what Lois was talking about a little bit, and it's giving back and volunteering your personal time to your community, to various causes and nonprofit groups that are most important to you, because that has an overall impact on your your presence and your stake within your community and the world. Uh, I I totally agree with everything that you said as far as um, building your brand and the elect. I I'm into the digital world and um, and. Mm-hmm authenticity you know it doesn't matter but be, try and be yourself you know the technology is going to be I, I logged into the panel today the the uh, dashboard and they changed stuff oh well so you know um, <laughs> <laughs> so you figure it out and if you make a mistake you say oh well um, and I think your point sure. about service is huge for learning because if you're volunteering your time, uh, you know, you can play with a program, play with a thought, play with an idea and you're learning and people in a, that you're volunteering for, they don't really care. You're helping them. They don't care. And you're learning and then you get relaxed and then, and then it helps you. So, um, it's, it's, I, it's I, a flourishing I, process. 
Um, I liked you also said an active student of your industry. I totally agree with that um, because uh, it changes, like I said. And if you try and keep up on it, it, it helps you focus. And then you become your subject matter expert, you know. Mm-hmm. So how do you go about now? One thing is LinkedIn. Um, uh, do, how do you help them develop their profile on LinkedIn? If say they, someone hasn't maybe worked in a while or mm-hmm. say they, you know, had volunteered, but they, and then mm-hmm. maybe not so confident. Um, I think, you know, on what to put up there. Could you give us some tips for that? Oh, Absolutely. So I, I have a certification as uh, from the Social Media Manager School as a professional certificate, and I learned a lot about social media. And so I, I, I really focus my attention on LinkedIn because it's being used a lot in the, in the employment industry, uh, in the uh, people seeking employment. There, right. there are a lot of people that are recruiting people off of LinkedIn. So one of the things I have is a template, and um, part of LinkedIn is transferring information from your resume onto the profile. The second part is really having a very attractive headshot, um, you or even just having a headshot sometimes. Like that's, a, <laughs> right. that's a whole thing, too. Um, mm-hmm. And then another thing is having an, a – and attractive and because it's a, it's a social media network um, is having a nice background image at the top too, other over the generic image on LinkedIn. But one of the greatest things about LinkedIn is that it offers you an opportunity to connect with, within the groups and network and meet people within your industry and talk to people within your industry. So staying as a student within your industry can really just happen a lot on LinkedIn. I mean, you can spend a a good chunk of time doing that. And another great feature about LinkedIn is the opportunities you have to upload media. And uh, so, for instance, we're on a podcast. You could upload your – you could upload a podcast um, onto LinkedIn. You could upload videos, presentations, Especially if you're, I come from a creative field. I was in broadcast industry. So if you're working within the broadcast industry as a as a editor or producer or director, you might have a clip reel, or even if you're on air, you might even have a clip reel, and you can upload these things. Especially if you're on air, you could upload like a whole visual resume, uh, which is something that um, an on-air talent in television or radio uh, might have um, uh, prepared for themselves and edit for themselves. So LinkedIn is a very powerful tool uh, within the realm of career coaching. And uh, it really is a, it's, it's a place where a lot of people can leverage themselves and meet people from all around the world. Um, Yeah. I like that they've recently updated the, that how you can post an article, you know, create an article, and it's blogging, mm-hmm. basically, and then you can share it to Facebook, which goes to Twitter, and, but it, it, mm-hmm. um, it also gets your word out, and, and it's not just business, but your volunteer organizations, um, it can help right. them. As well, and right. then, uh, um, which sometimes people don't think of. Uh, what would be, um, you say, what would be the most difficult thing in branding for an individual who maybe is not used to uh, thinking about putting themselves out? Is there one or two kind of first steps? Or Oh, yeah. I, I, the reason why number one of those five techniques I, I, I mentioned is understanding and being your authentic self is, is really the, 
at the top of the list because that 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 can be a, a challenge for a lot of people. Um, and I, if I if I come across a candidate, uh, a client who might be um, might might be struggling with that and wanting to rebrand and has been through like a job loss or has been or is trying to get to their next level in their career or as an executive who's just trying to stay afloat. I I have the I use the Winslow Dynamics Profile Assessment oh, yeah. with mm-hmm. them and it enables them to um me- it, it it enables a measurement of 24 different personality characteristics that come into four different trait groups, the interpersonal traits, the organizational traits, the dedication traits, and the self-control traits. So there are four different quadrants that are measured. And uh, it, it gives the client a really good understanding of where they are right now. Like it's a great, it's a snapshot. It's a good place for them to really start the building block towards um, building and growing a personal brand. So I use that assessment. Um, do you do, uh, I think I've read in your um, material that you do, you could do this remotely as well as in person, right? Yes, I I, I have, I, I do most of my coaching remotely, um, and uh part of part of the effort, part of the opportunities have come from my my background in mass communications and uh and working within the broadcast industry so uh really molding a lot of the materials to mass audiences and the technology now is so phenomenal that uh it's uh, it really must enable you to to do this effectively. Well, I want to yeah. thank all you guys. Um, now, what I'd like to do is give you each um, uh, a minute or two to sum up, and um, you know any any last minute thoughts on this. We will have <clears throat> a document for you we have a link here that will go to we have a landing page and we have a link and you can and there's a uh, uh, summary uh, for people who are interested so uh, can we start with uh, Mary Beth do you want to give us your last comments sure Um, I uh, sorry. I uh, like to approach. Uh, I think coaching is a wonderful tool. Uh, I like to approach my philosophy in is that it's a collaboration with the client, which is terrific. I'm simply there to supply support, discovery-based approaches, and frameworks for the client. Um, they're capable of generating their own solutions. I really, really believe this. If you sit down and have them go through the process the, the way Irene described it, it's amazing what comes out. I'm there just to support them in whatever they decide to pursue. And I've seen uh, people do amazing things through coaching. Thank you. Irene. Yes, I'm a big fan of coaching because it's changed my own life, and uh, my motto is live smarter because with coaching you really make life more efficient and more fulfilling. And there are the three A's of coaching, awareness. You learn about your assumptions and your options and your boundaries and your strengths, and then after that you commit to the things you really feel are important, and then you take action. And coaching really does get people to move in directions that they've always wanted to move in and get the life they want. Thank you. Uh, Mark? Well, to uh, to piggyback on the uh, great comments that uh, Mary Beth and Irene have already said, I wanted to emphasize the importance of being a good listener and being a good coach. 
listening is not as easy as it seems. Most people don't listen to each other, and most people need desperately to be listened to. So one thing that we as coaches do is listen deeply uh, with a tremendous sense of presence, focus on what the client is saying to us. The other thing that we do is ask questions. And the kind of questions that good coaches ask are the kind of questions that are open-ended, that elicit deeper thought, that kind of brings the conversation and, and, and where the client is to, to a deeper level of self-awareness. So those are skills that we, we develop as coaches. I think people have a natural ability to do those kind of things. Some people do, some people just don't. But those of us who do and have practiced and have learned can take it to a different level, and we help our, our clients. So whether it's you know, doing divorce coaching or executive coaching, which I also do, or any of the other kinds of coaching that, that the rest of the panel has been talking about, we're all excellent listeners and question askers, and it's by that process that we help our clients really clarify what it is that they want to achieve, and, and, that, and that's really what we do. We help in that process. We're not, we're not just listening. We're actively participating and collaborating. I, I want to ask, I want to hear from Lois and Joshua, but then I want to come back and just ask you briefly about the organization and its function and how, what it can do for people. Um, Lois. Sure. sure. Um, I would just say that um, I just like people to keep in mind, excuse me, that diversity, excuse me. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mildred, I'll start that again. Okay. Yeah. I would just like to say that I'd like people to keep in mind that diversity is more than race and gender. There are so many things that make us diverse, as I mentioned before. And if you look at the six of us who are on the phone right now, there are so many ways that we are different from each other. But at the end of the day, we're all the same inside. And I think keeping this in mind and having an open mind to get to know others is critical. So, Mildred, you described yourself as someone who likes people, and that's what I call having a curious mind. So I would encourage people to be open and assume positive intent when interacting with others. Thank you. Uh, okay, Thank you. Joshua. Well, the way the way I I I I think coaching fits within the personal branding is that it's such a sen- it's such a very personal um, uh, it's it's such a very personal and intimate connection and partnership with the client that having a coach as your support and uh, to assist you through a lot of the rebuild, rebuilding and rebranding process and understanding your authentic self and having that self-awareness is really the, the, the keys to really um, capturing the goals and setting your targets so you can move forward. And so down the road, you can, you can uh, look back and say, oh, wow, I, I, was, I was there, but this is what I'm doing here, and I'm in a better place. And the, 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 the partner of the coach really plays the most um, important role in helping someone maintain that support throughout the, throughout the coaching pro, uh, program. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. Mark, could you just give us a little bit of information about your organization, how people can benefit, um, and uh, what, you know, it's big picture. Absolutely. Thank you. And whatever I leave out, I'd like to ask Mary Beth to be, feel free to, to kind of add. Uh, Mary Beth is, a, is our past president. Um, ICF Long Island is um, is, a, is a chapter, and we're a relatively small chapter of the International Coach Federation, which is a global organization of coaches. And the purpose of ICF is to set standards for the coaching profession, uh, internationally and nationally. And it's really important to us that our coaches are well-trained, qualified, competent, and presenting to the public 
the best in coaching. The reality, unfortunately, is that anybody can call themselves a coach, uh, whether they're trained or not, and it's really important to have standards that we're, that we're presenting to the, uh, to the, to the general public. Uh, and, and, and all the people who are speaking today certainly are well qualified, as, as I'm sure everybody who's listening to them know. Um, ICF Long Island used to be called Long Island Coaching Alliance uh, for many years, and it's only in the past couple of years that we have adapted the name uh, ICF Long Island. We've always been affiliated with ICF, but now there's a more formal connection. Um, the value of coming of, of, of hopefully joining ICF Long Island, uh, and there are different ways of doing that, um, is really to be in a community of coaches. We get together for a meeting once a month. We have excellent programs. Lois is one of our uh, co-chairs uh, of programming. And um, the programs that we present are are educational about various aspects of coaching and, and what goes into becoming a better coach. Uh, we also provide um, what's called, what we call a coaching circle where members of the group coach one another and in, a circle, in a circular kind of way. I coach coach B, who coaches coach C, and it kind of works way around where somebody will then coach me. Um, and by doing that, we get practice, we get to know each other better, we develop our skills as coaches, and the time that we spent in providing each other, uh, what virtually is, is a trade-off for our coaching time, uh, can be used in, in our credentialing through the ICF. Um, but Do you have to take a coaches, test? Is uh, there a to test? Be, to, to be accredited, uh, some of us are ACCs. I don't know if anybody else... That's kind of one of three levels. There are two higher levels of coaching, and there are very clear requirements that include an online test. So um, any, any of us who, who have that ACC or PCC, uh, and, and the, the highest level is MCC Master uh, Certified Coach, um, there are really strict requirements in terms of having passed that, that test of knowledge uh, and also... Um, there's a requirement in terms of a certain number of client hours and recorded uh, recorded sessions that are evaluated by senior uh, master coaches. Mm. So it's really a matter of standardization. On a local level, there are a lot of coaches on Long Island, and we really want to add more to our membership roles because we share so much in common, a point that uh, Lois just made, um, it's really a community where we need to support one another and recognize that, you know, we don't all do the same thing. We have basic values and competencies as coaches, but we have different areas of specialization. So it's good to know what our resources are in the community and, and who can best meet the needs of, of people out there, uh, certain kinds of coaching. And that's mm -hmm. why this program today is so valuable. And I want to thank you, Mildred, uh, oh, and for, for helping us put this together because it really is so important that, that people in the public understand the diversity of coaches. You know, again, mm -hmm. to use uh, Lois's concept of diversity, it's not only uh, gender and, and race, it's about the differences among people, our strengths, our weaknesses, and how we can help one another. And, so, and thank you. for my point, too, to have a group that, because anybody can say, oh, I'm a coach. And you go, really? Yeah. You know? <laughs> so yeah, uh, exactly. it's a real pleasure to have you guys here. Well, I want to thank you. We'll have more resources. We've got it on Facebook and LinkedIn and, you know, so people can connect with you. So, and think about doing a follow-up. If you get any kind of questions or thoughts or an in-depth topic that you might want to talk about. Uh, uh, I think, again, you're right. It's so useful. So thank you all very much. Bye-bye. Thank, thank you, Mildred. Bye. Thanks. Bye. 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 Thank you. Thank you.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 